So we are starting a new uh, series, um, going through the, the different titles and the different jobs that Christ has, has held. Um, so this month we're going to be kind of, uh, I should say, a mini-series, starting a, a different topic. And we're going to be looking at uh, the, the jobs that Christ does surrounding uh, security uh, and safety, which is kind of a, a big topic. You can't... You can't uh, Turn on the radio or look at a TV for uh, too many minutes without an advertisement about your security and your safety. And, and we find these things all quite important. Uh, we went um, uh, right here before our VBS, we went calling door to door and uh, right just in the neighborhood. And I, I noticed everyone has these, these little things on their doors now uh, uh, that, that alert them to the fact that there might be someone that they don't want to see. Uh, at, standing at their door. So I was like, I know there's people in there. I can see lights and I can see people moving and, and you've hit the button and, and no one comes to the door. It's amazing. Uh, but uh, but we, we're all about security and, and all about safety and the people at the door um, and, and, and who's trying to get what. And uh, we had, uh, I, I posted a couple of things on, uh, they were selling just junk in our house that we're trying to get rid of. Uh, and, and within five minutes uh, of, of posting those things, uh, I had two scammers already. I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to send you any security codes. I'm not going to hand out this information or that information. Um, you know, you go pound salt. I've, I've been here before. So uh, security is important to us, isn't it? And, and, and we're going to look at a month of different things that, that Christ uh, does in regards to our security. We're going to start with the Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 25 and uh, 26. Romans 11, 25 26 says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. For it is written, the deliverer has uh, or will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And so we are talking today about Christ the Deliverer. Um, we want to talk about, of course, when we're talking about safety and security, the first and most important thing is getting to safety. Um, probably not a lot of you know who this man is. Um, in 1990, um, we invaded, and probably some of you remember, uh, the uh, Operation Desert Storm. Uh, as, uh, not, it wouldn't really be fair to call it a war, uh, much like it's not really a chess match if I'm on one side. Right? That's, that's not really a match. That's uh, just kind of one person sitting there while the other person wins. That was that Operation Desert Storm, and it was, it was done without too many casualties. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that, that this man right here is, is partially responsible for the low amount of, of casualties that, that we had. And we know we chalk everything up to our superior uh, technology and everything else, but uh, when, uh, when Saddam Hussein annexed Kuwait, uh, what happened uh, in doing that was that there were about 170,000 uh, citizens of India who got stranded. <laughs> um, they were there... Uh, Doing various uh, projects, and uh, with uh, and among them was a, a large Toyota installation, uh, and and this man uh, was the head of that. Um, he was Mathuni Matthews. He had recently been retired. Uh, he was still in Kuwait, 
uh, he was an Indian citizen. So when, so when they trapped all these people who were not now able to get out, uh, Mathuni, uh, who was uh, a citizen of India like the rest of these, um, he came up with a plan to airlift out every citizen of India. 171,000 people were airlifted out of, or out, of, out of Kuwait to get back to India. Uh, and he coordinated with Air India to do this. He was on the last plane out. Um, he, he would not go until every citizen of India had escaped. And, and by doing that, there was a lot of people that were taken out of harm's way or potential harm's way. Um, is the largest civilian rescue operation in the history of the world so far as we know. Pretty impressive deliverance. Well, what to do with all these 170,000 people? Let's worry about that later. The first step in security of people is to get to safety first. We'll worry about all those other details later. We want to talk first about Christ the Deliverer, because in security, in, in you know, procuring our, our safety, the first thing is to deliver us, and that's the first thing that Christ did. So we want to know a little bit more about our deliver, Deliverer. Uh, say that three times fast. Delivery, first of all, not the pizza delivery type of delivery, but delivery, rescue comes from sometimes very unexpected sources. Uh, we don't, it doesn't always come like you think rescue will come. Have you ever noticed that? A rescue sometimes is pretty different from, from what you were expecting. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, in 2005, uh, somebody got a, a call. It was a 911 call. Dispatcher. Pretty, pretty common. There was a, a call, no answer. Well, you don't know what you're expecting there. You could be somebody just dialing because they're in a, uh, they don't want to alert somebody. Uh, so, so as standard, if, if no one answers, uh, they just assume that maybe there's a, a criminal in the house or what have you, and we go to the, uh, go to the site and, and make sure. Well, what they found when they got there was uh, a man by the name of uh, Gary uh, Roshizen was unconscious on the floor. Uh, he had fallen out of his wheelchair. He had a hit in addition to uh, being wheelchair bound because of his osteoporosis. He was also uh, had fallen out of this because of uh, a seizure. He was partially responsive, I guess, when, when they, they found him. He was still coming out of a seizure. And uh, so they're not quite sure how he called. He couldn't move. Uh, he was stuck on the floor. How did this man call 911? They went through the house. There was nobody in the house. But they got a call from this address, and they're looking around, and it slowly dawned on the rescue, the, the re responders, that the only thing in the house not named Gary was Gary's cat, Tommy. The cat knocked the receiver, this is pre-cell phone here, or pre-iPhone, uh, knocked the phone off the hook and dialed 911. Right? That was not expected. 
A rescue comes from places where it is not expected. And, and in, our, in our text we see this. It was not expected. The, 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 the text talks about salvation for, for Jews and Gentiles. It was going to come to Gentiles and it was going to come from a Jew. Now as you might expect, that was a surprise to a lot of people. That the rescue of non-Jewish people would come from a Jew. First of all, it was quite unexpected to the Jews themselves. Um, in John chapter 7, verse 33 through 35, says, Jesus then said, I'm going to be with you a little bit longer. Then I'm going back to him who sent me. And you will look for me, but you will not find me. For where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to each other, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? And you can just, you can just hear the clutching of the pearls. You know, oh no, he's going to go to the, the Greeks. He's going to go teach the Gentiles. Now the funny thing is, is that, that a significant portion uh, of the people listening to him didn't really care for his message. But how dare he go give it to the Gentiles? We don't really want to hear it, but you can't teach them it. It's so backwards in their, in their thoughts. But, oh no, is he going to teach the Greeks? They can't have it. It was a surprise to them that Jesus actually thought that other people other than them might need to be rescued. Now, it was not merely a surprise to the Jews that a Jew would go to the Gentile. No, actually it was a surprise to the Gentiles uh, as well in Acts chapter 16. This is, uh, here's a, a girl that's been healed. And it says, when her owners, this is kind of a strange thought, when her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so even the Gentiles had a, a little bit of a difficult time accepting. I mean, first of all, I guess they had a problem accepting that they needed rescue. Some people are like that. Well, I don't got a problem. I, I don't need anything. And you're telling me I have needs? I don't, I don't, and, and you're not even a person. See, this is kind of funny. Is, is you have a situation where, where both groups think that they're superior to the other one. It doesn't always happen. You know? like if you go, you know, remember the dark days of high school? You know, there, there, I mean, there are the different elite groups up there. You have the jocks and you have the, the, the yuppies. And they all think about it. But there's, there are groups that are pretty well sure that they're not at the top. You know, the skateboarders and, the, and the, kind of the, the, the people down here. We, we knew who we were. Right? We weren't rich. We weren't overly attractive. You know, we, we didn't have any of the advantages so we kind of knew who we were. But here you have a situation where, where both groups think that they're superior to the other. I mean, to the point where they're dogs. I mean, not even a recognition of, okay, you're semi-important. And so the Gentiles, well, you're gonna, a Jew is going to come and, and think that he dares to do anything for us? So it was kind of surprising for many Gentiles to hear this message about a deliverer. Well, 
I want to talk a little bit about what we've been delivered from. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is something we're not really going to talk about. Because, because we all know that when we talk about being saved or being delivered, the first thing we're going to talk about is being saved from sin. But I'm going to give you a couple of unexpected things that we are delivered from because of sin. We're talking about some unexpected things. The first thing that, that I want to talk about is saved from uh, persecution. I thought, saved from persecution? Well, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, beginning, says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, so that He will deliver us again. You also must help us in prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of so many. Well, we look and we read the Bible and we kind of read it almost like a fairy tale or as some stories that, I mean, we kind of know they're true, but it's so long ago, it's, it's really hard to identify with things. Especially living in our culture, where, where it's so, we just don't identify with, with having to live in fear from one moment to the next. So, so it seems perhaps unexpected that I'll say that he would deliver us from persecution because we don't really live with it on a daily basis. Do you? I don't. Uh, you know, we, in living in Ukraine, people would come back, are they free over there? Yeah, Soviet Union fell kind of a long time ago. Ukraine's pretty free. Right? There, there's no real major problems. Uh, there are places in the world, obviously, where you can still feel persecution, but not here. Right? Not, not in America. We lived in, uh, before moving overseas, we lived in a place called Rutland, Vermont. You know, what, what is a place called Rutland, Vermont? Well, Rutland, Vermont um, is a nowhere place. Uh, there's 17-something thousand, like that, 17,000, 18,000 people. That is a nowhere place. I, the, the whole state of Vermont is, is pretty tiny. I mean, 500,000 people, I think, is the entire state's population. And because of the state's population, it was seen as an opportunistic place to, to begin with putting uh, some certain political agendas in and, and social policies in because it was easy to infiltrate. And so in the early 2000s when we were living there, they, they put in a policy called civil unions. It was what preceded gay marriage. Um, and, and they realized that once, and I, there's a name for it, and I forget what it is, but it's a, basically this, that if a state has a policy, other states have to recognize it. So uh, it has a fancy name that I, I don't care to remember right now. So, uh, but, so they recognized, if we can get Vermont, we can get the country. And that's what's happened. So a couple moved up from Virginia. Um, a couple of women moved up to be among the first to have a civil union. Well, in the years after that, uh, one of the girls, name was Lisa Miller, uh, became a Christian in, in Virginia. And among the things she decided to do was to leave that relationship. In the meantime, 
she had birthed a child. I'm not going to get into the specifics of that. But she has a child. Well, <clears throat> the other partner decided they wanted at least partial custody. So they went to Vermont, where these judges had been put in place to, to help facilitate that. And the judges reinterpreted the law. Here's a woman with no biological connection to the child. She hadn't adopted the child even, so there wasn't even a legal ramifications here. But the judge just decided that visitation had to be given. When the woman, when Lisa, the actual physical mother, determined that that was not going to happen, when she, for, for a few months before, while this whole case was going on, uh, she, had, she had determined, you call her, uh, I forget what her name, what the other girl's name is, but you'll call her that, you will not call her mother. She is not your mother. I am your mom. When she wouldn't comply, they went back to court and the judge gave full custody to the lesbian partner of this child who was not her own. We don't have persecution in the United States. That doesn't happen. Lisa saw the writing on the wall before this and had made some reserve plans. And she escaped the country with the help of several people. And the last I know, um, <clears throat> she was in Guatemala somewhere. But they do not know exactly where. That was in 2010 or 12 that she took off. The two men, interestingly enough, uh, uh, Timothy Miller and a uh, Matthew Miller, who are of no relation to Lisa, just strange, went to prison for helping her leave. And another man also. Uh, I can't remember his name. But there's no persecution in America. Do we need deliverance from persecution? Yes. Yes, we do. We are not safe anywhere. It might look a little different. It might be a little unexpected the way it is than in some countries where it's very overt. But we still need deliverance. We are saved from another enemy. James chapter 1 tells us a lot about this enemy. He says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We need to be saved from ourselves sometimes. You ever notice that? We rescue our kids from, our, from themselves quite a few times. Right? That's pretty much the story of life and of youth. God says, I need to save you from yourselves. We, I think we're smart enough at this point, we don't well, at least overtly say God is tempting me. We've kind of recognized that, I think, by now. But we do like to blame other people. And the one we like to blame the most is Satan. 
for everything. Now, I don't want to say that Satan's not involved because he is called the tempter. I mean, if you have a title, it's probably a significant... Much like we're going through titles of, of Christ, we could do titles of Satan. Uh, we could spend some time there. Uh, and, and one of them is the tempter. So I, the tempter, being your title, tells you a little bit about your job. That's what he does. But I want you to understand that, 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 that James and tells us, listen, you're looking at the wrong source if you're looking at somebody to blame. Satan can place stuff near you that's bad for you. He can, he can arrange things so that it's very inconvenient for you. Satan can, can kind of arrange it so, so that you're in a place or you're surrounded by things that you have a tendency towards. That's what he can do. But the wanting to do it doesn't come from Satan. The putting it in your mind to do that thing, that tendency comes from you. He says, it's your desire. Each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. We need to stop blaming Satan for the reasons that we need rescue. I have a problem. The problem is X, and it's because I like to do it. Satan provides the means, but I provide the desire. I want you to notice our next passage kind of confirms this. Romans chapter 7. And this is a long uh, chapter. This is just a section of it. I'm going to read the whole thing. Romans chapter 7 begins in verse 9. I want you to listen. It's kind of difficult. This is one of those passages that you read and it's difficult to accept. Because we have an idea of who the Apostle Paul is. I mean, the Apostle Paul. And it's difficult to listen to Paul talking about himself. So much so that I've heard people say that this is just a hypothetical. It's just a rhetorical. Because people can't accept that Paul actually was a human being. Nope. There's nowhere in here that says if or possibly. I mean, the word if is used. But... but as an explanation of a real situation. Listen to this. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. Begins in verse 9. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Sin, seizing on an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good bring death to me? No. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. But the very thing that I hate is what I do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So now, it is no longer I'm who doing it, but it's the sin that lives inside of me. 
For I know nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but what I do is the evil. That's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I want, it's no longer, or if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who am doing it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is very close. For I delight in the law of God in, inside, but I see in the members of my body another law that fights against the law of my mind and makes me captive to the law, to the law of sin that lives in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I will serve the law of sin. Uh, and there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff in there, a lot of confusing stuff. And it's uncomfortable to think of Paul saying, I only do the wrong thing all the time. Have you ever felt that you do the wrong thing all the time? Oh, I always do that. I always mess up. I always say the wrong thing. I always do the wrong... I just, I never see... The Apostle Paul said that. The wrong thing. I always do the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul said that. I can say it. It is okay. Who will deliver me from the stupid things I do? That's what Paul said. It's a modern version. Right there. Thanks be to Christ. Christ is a deliverer. It's hard to think that Paul felt like he only messed up. Because we look at Paul and we think, Whoa. Paul, I'm not. I am not in that group up there. I'm down here. I know where I am. Paul said, nope. <laughs> I'm here with you. I only mess up. The good stuff that I know I want to do, I never seem to be able to accomplish that. I never seem to be able to make the right decision. Well, I want to do more than know about the work he does and about the deliverer. I want to know him. I want to have a relationship you know, so many rescue stories and things like that. You see later on that the, the people kind of became friends or, or you know, there's this connection that they have or, or what have you. This is that story. It's not that just, you know, some guy did something for somebody anonymously and now he's over. But God says, I'm going to deliver you and then I'm going to offer you a relationship because of that. So here are two ways to develop a relationship with the Deliverer. First of all, this is kind of weird, uh, but in um, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41, this is this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. We know this passage well. Peter has just preached a sermon. He's talked about how, um, 
how they had become murderers of Christ. So when they heard this, verse 37, he says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we, we just... Verse 38, and let's end. But there's more to this passage that I think is important. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, and with many other words. I like this. With many other words, he gave testimony and continued to exhort them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. So then those who received his word were baptized and added to that day about 3,000. We get this idea, we just kind of read through it really fast, and we get this idea that, because uh, we have the Cliff's notes of this day, that's really what we have, that, that said, uh, okay, what do we do? Baptized, okay, and then 3,000 people, boom, walk down the aisle, and they all baptized and lived happily ever after, and that's not what happened. Because he said that, and then he had to continue and continue and continue to try to get people to respond. This was an all-day event with many other words he continued to encourage. Because we kind of take a while to get there, don't we? We take a long time to get there. We don't always immediately accept that we have a problem. We're kind of like those, those people, well, I don't got a problem. You got a problem. So open our eyes. That's the first thing. If we want to know the deliverer, we have to open our eyes to the fact that we need a rescue. You might not be aware that you have a need to be rescued. Life seems like it's going pretty well. Good job. Nice house. Car. Friends. Got security. Got my 401k. It's going good. All the things that need for security. I don't have a need. We have a tendency to us underestimate genuine problems. Even when we have problems, even when we kind of recognize, we minimize how much of an impact that those problems really are. Well, you know, it's a little bit of a health problem, but, you know, I can survive. I can can get by. It's not too bad. I can cope. The word cope is the... It is... The word cope is a testament to the stupidity of humanity. I can cope. I can barely survive. That's what I can do. I can cope. That's what the word cope means. It means, listen, I know that there's this other thing over here, but I can just barely survive doing what I'm doing. That is an insane word. I can cope. I'm not really interested in getting better. I'm just interested in doing the absolute minimum. I can tolerate this level of pain. Like, Why don't you get rid of the pain? No, because I can cope right here. But there's this 
It's okay. Too much energy. Too much financial whatever. Too much whatever that's going to cost. No. Right here. I can control this. I can control this. I got this under. I, I got this under. And everyone who looks around them and says, no, you don't. You do not have that under control. It is controlling you. No, I can handle it. No, you can't. We have to open our eyes. God wants to deliver you, but He will not force you. Okay? Maybe you're not there. So, the next thing is then, be a part of things. James chapter 5, this is this, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone amongst you, among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from the error of his ways saves a soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. Be a part of the chain. Rescue doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are people that are involved in it. Christ is the deliverer. But there are lots of people that are involved in that. Be a part of that. Because we talked about helping protect people from themselves. My friend Jason is a firefighter, or he's a volunteer firefighter. He's a, he's a preacher in Louisiana, but he, he does some volunteer firefighting. He says, they don't let me go into houses. I don't do a lot of that. Uh, his job is to stand near the fire and to tackle with any number or any amount of force necessary the people who will run back into their house. That's his job, is to run and lay them out and then get on top of them and keep them there. Because he's like, people will run back into their house for a little fluffy. And my job is to protect them from themselves. It's a very hard job to do. It's like, here's a nice, nice little lady. And then she goes, and I've got to tackle her. <laughs> the preacher. <laughs> Be a part of the chain that says, I will do something to help. It is thankless work. Do you think people thank him for that? Maybe later. Maybe later. Not in the moment, they don't. They're, scheme, they're screaming and kicking and clawing. It comes with personal risk. We talked about Lisa Miller. As I said, people went to jail. There's personal risk in, in, in being involved in that chain of rescue. She couldn't do it by herself. Someone had to put themselves out there. Someone with a family put themselves in a position to do something for a girl and went to jail. Their family suffered. There were other things that happened. As I say, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Are you willing to be a part of that change? <coughs> we close with one thought. One question. What have I done to need rescue? And this one thought really covers both things that we've talked about. Well... This is for each of us to examine the things that we need to be rescued from. We talked about that during communion thoughts, examining ourselves. What have I done? I can think about all the things that other people around me 
need rescue from. That's easy. I can imagine all the things that other... I just you, When you talk about being around people and they don't see their need. Okay. And while I'm looking at all the needs of those people around, you know, around me, I'm not seeing my own need. So for a moment, let me take my eyes off of all the needs that the other people around me have for just a moment and think about the things that I need rescue from. Because it's a good chance that a lot of the things that we need rescue from, other people do not see. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, have I done anything that would put me in a situation where God would need to deliver me from persecution? Have I done anything to to arouse the suspicions of anybody else that, that I might be involved in the rescue of other people? Now, I'm not saying that these events come up all the time. But I think a lot of times, we're not involved enough to the point where we arouse animosity. Now, we're not interested in in making people hate us. That's not what I'm, I'm driving at. But eventually, if we're involved in a part of that chain enough, someone somewhere will probably not like it. And there might be a little risk, a little suffering. And have I, have I done that? Maybe I need to bite off a little bit more. I know I do. I need to bite off a little bit more. There is a deliverer. Know about his work, but, but know him. Make a choice to be aware of your own need and the needs of other people around you.